0: Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. So my guest today is uh, Kevin Gastola. He's been with us before. He's the writer and publisher for Shadowproof. It's a press organization that describes itself as driven to expose systemic abuses of power in business and government. He curates a subscription newsletter called The Dissenter and hosts a a podcast called The Dissenter Weekly, both of which cover whistleblower stories extensively. He's covered the court-martial of Chelsea Manning and uh, also extensively covered the case of CIA whistleblower John Kiriakou and now has been doing yeoman's work covering the Julian Assange extradition hearings for which he's been getting praise from many different quarters. So congratulations on the kudos for that. And, of course, that's what we're going to be talking you about today, with you about today, and, you know, I just wanted to first get your general impressions of what's going on and the things that really struck you throughout the time that you've been covering this.
1: To me, I think the most important thing is that this case was made even more clear by the way in which the prosecution talked that it would be dangerous if Julian Assange was brought to the United States and put on trial for the uh, offenses that he's facing, for the alleged crimes that he's facing, uh, which in my view really aren't crimes, um, even as they're described by the government, where we're talking about news-gathering conduct that is standard by most journalists and, and how they would normally carry themselves when they're interacting with their source um and and just an example would be that the US uh the, the, the prosecutor so you so just so everyone's clear the crown prosecution authority in the UK represents the US government and and makes the case that the US government would if they would actually if they were actually there in the courtroom arguing Well they the actually
0: judge. are in the courtroom you know uh, advising them aren't they
1: no, the Crown Prosecution Authority represents what the U.S. government's interests are.
0: No, I I understand, but apparently, um, I mean, I was reading reports like Craig Murray was saying that there were five uh, U.S. government people sitting right behind Lewis, the the head prosecutor, and they were huddling and talking and going back and forth. Is that not what you saw?
1: Probably, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm Presenting it as it actually unfolds while I'm watching the the court feed. So okay. none okay. of those people ever talk to the judge. Um, so no, they, no, of
0: course
1: not. Yes, none of those people are ever involved officially. So yes, of course, I wouldn't sit here and claim that there's a wall between the U.S. government and this crown prosecution authority. They're they're in consultation with people back at the Justice Department over what to do and and how to pursue. This case, and in fact, they're getting papers from the Eastern District of Virginia where Julian Assange would be put on trial and where he was indicted and where the grand jury was formed. Uh, so, but my point that I was trying to get to was that, uh, Julian Assange in this case and, and, and the way that they've talked about press freedom and the First Amendment is entirely unprecedented on the part of this U S government um, and and, uh, and on the part of the crown prosecution authority, because they are talking as if, you know, there's, there's really nothing that stands in their way if they want to prosecute a journalist and even boasting that they believe that the Pentagon and Pentagon papers case with Daniel Ellsberg, when that was um, litigated back uh, about 50 years ago, that it left the door open to pursue someone like Julian Assange and you know, just because it hadn't, um, just because they didn't since then prosecute a journalist, that doesn't mean Wait.
0: anything. Uh, under under, uh, what, are they smoking crap? I mean, did did they see the results of that case? The results of that case were quite clear. Yeah, that the press had a right to to expose this government malfeasance. I, yeah. So yeah. how can that be a precedent for allowing that? I don't understand. Am I misunderstanding something you're saying?
1: No, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you and, and not getting what they're trying to say. Also, the case did not involve um, – an. it was not accusing the New York Times of, of publishing material. It was actually a case involving stopping them from publishing material. So they right. weren't accused of a crime. They were trying to stop them from publishing. And so we already have the material published from WikiLeaks or by Julian Assange. So um, this is an entirely different case because they're accused of a crime and the New York Times was never accused of a crime. They were telling, they were claiming to the judge that the material couldn't be published from the Pentagon Papers. So, and anyway, I don't, I don't get it, but you know, they're, they're, they're saying things like, um, you know, show me where there's any precedent in the law that says a journalist can't be published or, or things of that nature that are, they're very alarming Um, Talking with um, uh, – they talked with uh, – so there was a cross-examination of uh, Carrie Shankman, who's a U.S. attorney in New York, um, who wrote a book and has done some work looking closely and examining the history of the U.S. Espionage Act and its origins and the kind of of, uh, cases that have been threatened against publishers in the past. And one of the things the prosecutors said to him w- w- in, involved whether or not you could actually bring a case. And, and he said, well, the, the fact is that the Espionage Act is very broad. It's, v- it's very broad and just about anybody could be accused of, of violating it. And so then she said, OK, so we're in agreement then that this Esp- Espionage Act could be used to target the press. Like basically okay, saying, like, so,
0: like, what part of the first of all, I thought their whole case was hinging on them. Characterizing Assange, not as a journalist, but as a hostile non-state intelligence gathering operation. So are you saying during they're actually um, they're actually admitting that he's a journalist?
1: So what they, what they did is they can, they, they gave up on that argument because it was failing and they decided to just take the approach of, well, even if he is a journalist, it doesn't matter. We could still prosecute him with the Espionage Act.
0: And what specific, do you, did they mention what specific part of the Espionage Act can be applied to
1: journalists? Mm-hmm. Well, he, I mean, I think any of it could be applied, but he's he's charged with the most generic one of 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 receiving information that he was not authorized to receive, of 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 obtaining or seeking classified information that he was not authorized to receive. And um, and that's that's what um, he's alleged to have done. That is criminal Um saying that he published national defense information, which, by the way, we need to be clear in our conversation, is not just classified information. It's any information that the U.S. government considers sensitive. It could be anything that's unclassified uh, but deemed sensitive because it involves military affairs or it could involve foreign policy negotiations that are private and even if that is unclassified, it could still be national defense information that opens someone up to an espionage act prosecution.
0: well, something something is really rotten here because it seems to me that um, well, obviously we know that this is a, a charade and one of the one of the things that I was thinking about is I, I was looking through I was looking for any statutes for the extradition hearings that would apply to abuse of process or, um, you know, not giving him proper, you know, proper consideration, the court acting in, in a corrupt or illegal fashion. I, I wonder, have has have the lawyers at all considered going down that route at all?
1: Well, there are. Abusive process arguments that have been put forward. Uh, you th- I'd say the most important one is the fact that uh, the Obama Justice Department had the same facts, had the same body of evidence before them, and clearly made a decision not to prosecute or indict Julian Assange back in 2013. And so you have to ask the question, what's different now? What happened? And the answer is... The politics within the Justice Department changed. The people who run the Justice Department are much, much more aggressive, have much more contempt. And this is difficult for me to even say because I had a lot of issues with the Obama administration and the way it waged its war on whistleblowers that resulted in attacks on journalists. Yes. But still, the fact is they did not indict Julian Assange. It just didn't happen. We, we don't have an indictment from the time that Barack Obama was president. And they, they, they didn't do the logical next step that you would expect after prosecuting Chelsea Manning in a military court, after securing her conviction, they didn't move on to Julian Assange and push for his extradition and push for him to be put on trial in the United States. Now, obviously he would have been in the Ecuador embassy and they would have had a tough time getting him to leave that embassy, but, uh, they didn't move on. And, uh, we had U S reporting. We had, we had journalists who reported on internal conversations in the justice department about how they recognized there was a first amendment problem. If they went after Julian Assange, it would be no, there'd be no meaningful difference than if they went and prosecuted the New York times, a New York times editor, or a Washington Post editor who had handled the WikiLeaks material. So they they decided to back away from it. And uh, the grand jury was left open, and it's possible they were still looking for other developments that could point to charges that wouldn't set a precedent that would be bad for journalists. But uh, the, the Trump administration doesn't care at all about any of this, and they have brought a case and all 18 charges in some way or another. Even if we're talking about the alleged hacking offense, all have underneath it, Espionage Act language. You know, they're, they're, they're all cut from the same, uh, part of the US legal code. So they're, they're every single thing that they're saying about what Julian Assange did is criminalizing the publication of information by a journalist.
0: Why do you think so? Few journalists are responding to this.
1: There's no uh, they, they don't see in Julian Assange what they do. They don't think that he is one of them, and he acts differently than them. So they've had this hubris that you know, there's somehow they're going to escape and not be impacted if he is put on trial. Um, they've they've led themselves to believe that. The U.S. government might argue this in a trial in such a way that they're not going to be impacted by the case if, if there is a conviction in a U.S. courtroom. And I think that they've deluded themselves into believing that they're going to be able to continue doing their national security work, um, that they'll be able to publish the same kinds of things that they have always published and to an extent that might be true if you, if you think about the difference between.
0: Well, if you're doing official source reporting, you're never yeah. going to get into trouble.
1: Yeah. So if, if we're thinking about access journalism and, and, and a, yes. the, 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 the kind of journalism that WikiLeaks wasn't practicing, although because it does actually matter to this case, there were phone calls made to the Pentagon as well as the State Department about the material. And they did do what a lot of journalists do, which is to say, help us understand whether there are any names of individuals in these documents who could be killed or or hurt severely if we publish their names. And they made redactions, and they wanted help. And the Pentagon rejected their attempt to ask for help. And, And actually, Daniel Ellsberg, who testified during the extradition trial, made a very good point of saying... That he believed that this was a way to ensure that they would be able to prosecute Julian Assange and other uh, staff members at WikiLeaks later on because then the Pentagon um, would have, you know, these examples of confidential informants who were working with the US military who were exposed because they intentionally did not help WikiLeaks to protect them before those materials were published. So anything that was put out there, recklessly or however it came to be known if someone was endangered they could blame wikileaks and not take any responsibility even though you know they had an opportunity to save those people from any harm in those war zones uh, there was a call put into the state department about the us state embassy cables the diplomatic cables and they didn't do anything to help wikileaks remove um the the, the names so Although at that time they were, uh, there were there were partnerships with other media organizations that were getting um, insights about the cables and and they were able to protect certain documents. But I'm just trying to say that WikiLeaks did take care about this. And I think when you when you start to compare what WikiLeaks did when handling this material to the standard ways journalists use ma- uh, manage materials. There's no difference. There's like there is a political difference. There might be an ideological difference. Julian Assange is definitely much more adversarial and and challenges the U.S. government way more than the uh, than anyone you know at CNN or New York Times is ever going to do. But that doesn't matter when it comes to the law. Your um, you know, whether you're opposed to the U.S. government or against the U.S. government, or whether you are adversarial or not, doesn't doesn't really matter if a case is brought against you and you're accused of any of this. Uh, you know, just because you're nice doesn't mean that the next president who gets elected isn't going to decide that they don't like you and want to punish you.
0: Right. So, but here's the thing: is that um. I think the difference in the material that most journalists put out and what WikiLeaks puts puts out, obviously they he he puts out whistleblower material and uh, curates it and so on, and um, which is far more sensitive, actually. I think and and this is what they're trying to say is that we can't operate, you know, a government when you know everything we do is scrutinized, which in and of itself, is a really frightening argument because if people cannot expose your malfeasance uh, without fear of retribution or without fear of you shutting down an entire, you know, one of the bases of democracy, which is a free press, uh, then, then we have an issue here. And I just... I don't understand, like I know myself, you know, I see you went to Columbia, I went to Columbia, I went to the J school, and I gotta tell you, my classmates, almost to the last person, are really hostile to Assange, I mean, this came, I became sort of this black sheep in the uh class, you know, class uh, in the class uh, Facebook group, I had to leave it. Mm-hmm. Because people were so hostile and I, I don't get it, Kevin. I, I really don't get it.
1: Yeah, I'm actually not professionally trained. I, um, um, I don't have a degree in journalism. I, uh, did this as a, an independent journalist and, and learned, uh, based more from a background of following activists who were out in the streets, uh, fighting the Iraq war and, uh, later on covering people who were involved in Occupy Wall Street and and looking at, at what they were doing. And uh, the kind of journalism that I learned was more about how to amplify what the grassroots do. And I think that's different because, you know, I, I think that if you ask Julian Assange what's newsworthy and what needs to be published and highlighted, you probably get a different answer than if you asked, Jim Acosta at CNN or, 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 and, 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 you know, the, the news that the public needs to know is going to be different. If you ask somebody uh, like the executive editor of the New York times is going to be different than if you ask someone at um, any of the organizations that have embraced what WikiLeaks was building, even though uh, one of the things that was highlighted during this trial was, that you have over 70 media organizations now that have something called SecureDrop, which is a system that since WikiLeaks uh, pioneered the anonymous submission system, which is the way in uh, the way that a source like Chelsea Manning could provide material without the organization knowing who that individual is. And just, you 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 receive the material and then you have to authenticate it and figure out if it's what, is really claimed. Uh, there are more than seventy organizations now, including the USA Today, Washington Post. You know these these newspapers that are are, are establishment type media organizations are able to receive leaks, and they even ask for leaks. Uh, the International Consortium for Investigative Journalists, which did the pa- Panama Papers, has a web page that says "leak to us," and and so. By way by the way the US government is going after Assange, that organization could be accused of committing a crime because Don't there's...
0: they see that they have skin in this yeah. game? Have you ever asked them?
1: No, well, see, the thing the thing that I think they're 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 trying to play this very conservatively and it's to their own detriment. They're they're trying to let the press freedom groups represent their interests and they're Official editorial boards have said the bare minimum about the case, and then individual journalists, even those targeted, uh, because we haven't even gotten to the fact that there were journalists who were visiting Julian Assange in the embassy who were spied on and targeted, who have their phones scanned and they were... Passports. Uh, there, the passport, passports and their there were dossiers, basically, you know, the kinds of files... That would be akin to J. Edgar Hoover creating files on people back, um, during the days of the new left and the, uh, and during COINTELPRO, basically creating these files on every individual that was visiting Assange, noting their nationality, taking particular interest in any Americans or Russians that visited Julian Assange. And, you know, they didn't speak up. There's been no, none of these journalists like Ellen Makashima of the Washington Post. Who someone tried to actually steal her cell phone battery from her. Um, yeah, that's actually in the records. The, the person who was working at the embassy checkpoint said that she, he tried, he or she tried to take it. And then the woman realized that her battery was missing. So I gave it to her because he, she asked for it, but tried to, you know, and they were trying to set these phones up in a way that they could track journalists later after they left the embassy. Um, that they would know what they were doing. Uh, and. Talk
0: about this case in Madrid. You're, there were, um, the, the lawyers are trying to bring that into <clears throat> the extradition hearing.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it, it's very significant. There is a case right now because, uh, there's a company called UC Global, uh, that is, the director's name is David Morales and he is facing criminal charges in Spain because he violated the privacy of Julian Assange in the embassy. And, uh, you know, there were other offenses committed. These are offenses that are committed, too, against a diplomatic building. Uh, the, there's, we're not just talking about the rights of Julian Assange. Everyone who worked in the Ecuador embassy had their rights systematically violated, too, while they were working as staff. They were under surveillance. But I mean, with
0: respect to Julian's case, it's because he was meeting with his lawyers, and he has a right to privacy when he's meeting with his lawyers.
1: Exactly right, and so this case, right? Right, and so that, that, that what I was getting to is that they were the high pri- priority targets. Um, anybody in his legal team, but especially Baltazar Garzon, who is a very famous, uh, well known, well respected yes. former judge. Who, if you go back to the crimes that were committed by president george w bush's administration when it comes to allegations of torture he was one of the few people uh, in in spain but in the entire world who considered this concept of universal jurisdiction and whether they would bring crimes against donald rumsfeld or dick cheney for being involved and uh, so and he also was involved in the case against augusto pinochet uh, which of course the CIA has impl- is, is implicated in um, the the that government that military dictatorship, and so um, he was made one of the high profile targets. They sent people to follow him around. Um, there was a break in into his office in his, into his law firm uh, about two weeks after there was a discussion about whether or not UC Global should perhaps break into his office. Uh, we don't know if it really was UC Global, but it's, it's suspected that it could be tied, but the, there, there are two witnesses there, and they're just, we know them anonymously as Witness 1 and Witness 2. Witness 2 is an IT expert who was involved in doing the installation of the cameras, uh, the new cameras that had audio recording capabilities, and both of these witnesses are giving testimony on in, in that'll help Julian Assange in the Spanish court, but then they agreed to allow that testimony to be entered into evidence in his extradition trial, and they're doing this at great risk to themselves, but they're under, at least one of them's under armed protection in Spain because wow. David Morales has ties to the Spanish uh, Marine infantry, uh, but also, you know, the way that this contract came about to spy on Julian Assange came from going to Las Vegas to to, to the Las Vegas Sands Casino um, at the same time that a security trade fair was taking place, and and meeting with um, uh, an individual known as Zohar Lahav, who is the head of security for the Las Vegas casino and works under Sheldon Adelson, who's the oh, right wing billionaire. Is that a um, Mossad guy, Zohar? Uh, It possible it could be, Um, and so sounds uh, very. So I I think it's it. They're right. These witnesses are to take very uh, all the precautions that they can. One of them is is has moved and isn't living in their home currently while this case unfolds. And so all this testimony was heard anonymously, and you know we we hear from witness two that there were multiple steps that were taken to make it so that uh, there was actually less surveillance to thwart what the UC Global was trying to do because all of this, te- this footage and everything was being uploaded and sent back to U.S. intelligence, which we believe is the CIA, but nobody ever actually called them the CIA at UC Global or David Morales was careful not to say CIA, but we believe that's what U.S. intelligence would be. So,
0: so... In terms of the trial, in terms of the hearing, I mean, in terms of the extradition hearing, this speaks to bad faith on the part of the U.S. government in terms of giving him fair treatment and uh, when he gets to the United States, right? I mean, is that what's being argued
1: in court? I think it's a complete compromise of your due process rights, of your, you know, your right to a fair trial, your right to an even playing field when you get to the United States. They they will have confidential medical data on Julian Assange that they should not have been able to access because there were doctors who we know from this trial and from um, uh, just, you know, affidavits that have been signed in relation to Julian Assange by doctors that show that they went there and if they would leave to go get lunch and they left their notes out, uh, someone from the embassy security would steal those notes and copy them and they'd oh be missing. Oh my god. And, I mean,
0: uh, total operation.
1: And, and these are, these are medical notes about Julian's condition and those are private. That's the, not for anybody to have access. And so they have confidential medical data. They have the, uh, they have the contents of conversations with lawyers that were had in the meeting room, but also sometimes the lawyers would try to have extra privacy. And even then they weren't able to avoid being spied on because they go into a bathroom, uh, that, which they called the women's bathroom. And, uh, they hide in there and have a private, uh, you know, what was an extremely private conversation, something they really didn't want the U S to know. And they, we find out later that there was a microphone put in the bathroom to capture those conversations.
0: So let's let's talk about some of the the witnesses that that um, the more important witnesses who testified. Um, you mentioned you mentioned a couple of them in in your your articles. You mentioned uh, Khaled El Masri, for example. Could you talk about him and what he said, and anybody else that uh, you know you think we should know
1: about? Yeah, so Khaled El Masri was a very important witness to have take the stand because this went to one one of the prongs that is being argued by the defense, which is that Julian Assange has been prosecuted because he exposed U.S. criminality. Uh, and, and so Khaled El Masri was someone-
0: That he is, he is, he's being prosecuted because he exposed U.S. criminality. It's been said that, like that?
1: Yeah, that's what the defense is saying, that he well, would not be prosecuted. What? No, wait. Do you hear what I am No, I No, I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying. I'm saying that Julian Assange is being retaliated against, and this is a political prosecution, because he exposed oh. U.S. war oh, crimes. Oh, I thought you were George
0: saying Trump. the defense was saying that he's being prosecuted because he's exposed criminality. I thought, well, that's certainly bald. I'm <laughs> sorry, I misunderstood
1: No, he's, no, he's saying that Khaled Al-Masri, um, is an, is, is an example of what WikiLeaks helped to expose. So because scrutiny was brought to the U.S. government that they did not want, um, because they were put under a microscope, they are retaliating against Julian Assange. And so this prosecution is vengeance for bringing transparency to the conduct of the US government. You,
0: you need to tell our 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 viewers uh who Khalid El Masri is.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm getting to that. So, okay. Khalid El Masri was uh abducted in Macedonia by the uh by the police of Macedonia and he was he was detained and then a team of I think it was around 13 or so CIA people came and abducted him uh so he was kidnapped he didn't know who was taking him he was uh i mean i can get pretty graphic here uh you know he was sodomized and he was basically spread eagled on an aircraft you know he was stripped and he was put in a tracksuit. Um, he was blindfolded they brought him all the way to afghanistan in this aircraft and then they landed at the, this notorious facility known as the Salt Pit, um, where a, a lot of uh, torture allegations have, have stemmed from. Um, there's the infamous Gul Rahman case. Was he was he taken, mistaken what? for another terrorism suspect. And while he was there, they slowly um, recognized that they did not have the, the right individual, but they still kept him in detention indefinitely. Uh, he went on hunger strike. He was force fed through his nose, um, and during his hunger strike, which is it's very brutal. Um, this has happened to Guantanamo prisoners and, uh, eventually they did release him. This was way back in like 2004, I want to say. And they, 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 they did release him, but they basically subjected him to a reverse rendition where they brought him back to Europe and dropped him off in Albania. And they handed him his suitcase and he was left all alone in Albania. And then a group of Albania police found him and were wondering how he even got there. And he didn't have any documentation, so they didn't understand why he was in Albania. And he could have gotten hurt because he's a a strange van just wandering um, from this this strip where they landed – uh, and he did make it back to Germany. He's a German citizen. Um, and so to, to wrap up the story, it's a really important story. He brought a case before the European Court of Human Rights in 2012 and the, the European Court ruled in his favor and awarded him damages and said Macedonia had to pay. Um, they were the only ones who the European Court had really the power to to challenge for their role in all of this. Um, there's no accountability. There's no justice that has ever been given to him from the U.S. government. Uh, he did have a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, um, but the U.S. government claimed state secrets, and they didn't have to reveal any information. But what the 2012 case was made possible by is that the U.S. diplomatic cables contained a very important cable that described – the pressure that was brought to bear by the US government on German prosecutors so that those CIA a- agents were never, uh, actually brought to justice, were never put on trial in Germany. And that convinced the European court that something, uh, foul had happened and that, that, that deserved, uh, that, that everything he was saying was true and it validated, it helped validate his claims. And so he said, during this, um, in his statement, we didn't get to hear testimony from him, unfortunately. But he, you know, he very eloquently said, "Without dedicated and brave exposure of the state secrets in question, what happened to me would never have been acknowledged and understood." So he gave credit to Julian Assange, and he did at great risk to himself. I would say because he's still living under a sense of paranoia that he could be hurt or attacked at any point in Germany because of what he went through. Uh, he's had experiences where he's found himself trapped on the freeway um, or the expressway in Germany, or the, he's, he called it the motorway. Uh, there's been suspicious individuals who have approached his children. He's complained about people he thought were stalking him to authorities and they've treated him like he's insane and threatened to institutionalize him in a mental oh. facility. So he's had to live um, a very, difficult life in the aftermath here and one small thing he can say is that WikiLeaks put this material out and helped a European court see that he wasn't crazy that this in fact did happen to him
0: oh my god so who else who else has said what that,
1: that uh, well uh, another thing uh, some some other witnesses that I think were really important I appreciated the testimony from Clive Stafford Smith. Who is a, a reprieve director. Um, I don't think that has received a lot of attention in the, in the minimal attention that was covered in, in. What do you
0: mean a reprieve director?
1: Uh, so, so, uh, he's a human rights organ, it's a human rights organization that was founded in UK. He litigated a case. And so he represented drone survivors or, or, or the families of, uh, of, of drone victims in Pakistan in the court, um, in, in the high court there. And they ruled that uh, what the U.S. was doing was actually war crimes. They, so they got a, a, a really incredible precedent in the Pakistan court system that what the CIA was doing was criminal activity. And uh, after that ruling was issued, uh, the amount of strikes just, you know, went to like few to none and like a matter of months. There was not a lot of there weren't many strikes anymore. And that was made possible because there were cables that detailed conversations about drones uh, with people who were leaders of the Pakistan government. And so that was helpful in the court seeing what was going on here. Uh So, you know, Dan Ellsberg was an um, uh, incredible witness. Uh, Trevor. So, you know, he challenged the hypocrisy of the, prosecution and the us and us government in general uh and and the way in which he was disingenuously being used i mean you might be familiar with this but for people who are listening oftentimes daniel ellsberg is held up as the good leaker and because everyone today feels like the pentagon papers it was a good thing for us to know about the vietnam war and how we were all being lied to and uh you know they use him against Edward Snowden, the NSA whistleblower. They pit him against Julian Assange. They pit him against Chelsea Manning. And you
0: know, and yet at the time yeah. that leaking was as shocking to the public and was as a shock as much a shock to the system as Snowden and WikiLeaks are today. So it's it's really um disingenuous to say he was the good leaker and they're the bad leakers. The only difference, I, I've been thinking about this because I think the only difference is A, the press is very different now than it was back then. I mean, it still had sort of, even though it was getting more corporatized, it, it did still have a sense of mission and a sense of wanting to expose something that, uh, that was wrong that, because, I mean, what people, what people got, didn't see, but was exposed in films and documentaries is, you know, you have, you have Nixon saying, you know, we're going to go after that bastard Ellsberg, you know, and you really get a sense of the, these people who the rule of law and justice do not apply to them, you know, and that has changed. I mean, I think one of the single most important changes that has occurred is is in the nature of of the press, of the mainstream press or legacy press, whatever you want it. You know, they 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 become outright propagandists. And so, because if you had, if Assange had their support, I don't know if this would would be going on. You know.
1: Yeah, and so Dan actually made it very clear that what he did wasn't more careful or different than what julian assange did with the material and i didn't really know this part of the story even though i was familiar with ellsberg's case but he says in those four thousand pages you know you say that wikileaks was reckless because they left so much more in those documents and only minimally redacted it he says well There were dozens upon dozens of names of people, American, Vietnamese, from all over that were involved in the war in some way or connected to what was happening, and I left their names in there. And I didn't actually want any redactions because my concern was that I would publish those 4,000 pages, and if I had even two or three pages that were black, then you were going to hear – Very disingenuously and very obnoxiously, some U.S. official was going to stand up and claim behind those black bars was the good justification for going to war in Vietnam. And they were going to accuse Daniel Ellsberg of hiding the fact that there was a fair reason for the U.S. to have a protracted and kind of endless war in Vietnam. And so he made cert- certain that you know even uh, he had a friend or someone he called a colleague who was a clandestine CIA officer, and he left that name in there, and he didn't remove it. And he even says that he thought he could face prosecution for leaving that name in those papers. Uh, and so, it, I think it fell apart. This 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 tactic on the part of the prosecutors to suggest that there was anything different between Daniel Ellsberg and Julian Assange but they definitely tried to use him the prosecution the, the prosecution authority tried to use him his presence to argue that they were different as they always have done and also Dan really called out the hypocrisy of the US government and 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 the fact that we shouldn't believe what they say and I was glad that he made this point which is no matter how much we hear from the US government about how WikiLeaks put lives at risk in Iraq or Afghanistan. We just shouldn't listen to a single word of that because even if it was true, it's cynical. They don't care about these people. We've had, you know, a million Iraqis killed in that war. Uh, we've and, and they don't speak anything about those people. We've had right. you know, twenty years of war in Afghanistan. Uh, uh, hundreds. Well, of I mean yeah and Dan,
0: Dan exposed the fact that the Tonkin uh, the Tonkin Gulf in- incident he exposed that too that it was it was a, a false flag so I mean already the war was a war crime
1: yeah and, a, a and
0: giant war crime
1: and so to finish the, the the point I'm making here he was talking about the 37 million refugees who got uh, displaced in the last 20 years by our war efforts and saying, you don't talk about how they are endangered and yet you want us to believe that WikiLeaks endangered people by publishing these documents. Well, in fact, actually you could say that they've done more for people who were impacted than any group could, could be said to have helped in the past, you know, 20 years. Uh, in the Iraq war, they exposed 15,000 civilian deaths. That were previously unknown. I don't think a lot of people know that. But before no, before Iraq war logs were published, there was a project called the Iraq Body Count Project in the UK that worked with WikiLeaks. We heard from the man who um, who who ran this, and he described how they uh, uncovered 15,000 people who had not been known to have been killed by the war, and so that's. That record is, is the only record that exists out there. Nobody has done further work to investigate deaths in the Iraq war. And before WikiLeaks, there weren't people who were doing this work. So it stands alone as one of the only official records we have of deaths. And without those materials, without Chelsea Manning providing that to WikiLeaks and without Julian Assange publishing it, that's one gap in our knowledge we would still have about, you know, what happened to those people.
0: Well, also, does anybody mention the fact that Chelsea Manning, I mean, it's, it's obviously, obviously he's being extradited for the stuff that Chelsea Manning released to him. Is anybody saying, well, Chelsea Manning was basically let go after time served. So why are you going to send this guy who, you know, he didn't leak the materials. He received the materials as a publisher. Why are you going to send him to jail for the rest of his life when this, you know, clearly your own government has, doesn't, doesn't see the actual leaker as meriting life imprisonment?
1: You know? Yeah. You know, there, there is a focus on what could happen to Julian Assange and, and that, that, that difference um, is, is the fact that you know, he is uh, someone who engaged in journalism and he should not have to face prosecution under this law. I mean, I don't think they necessarily are saying that anyone who's a whistleblower deserves to be prosecuted by the Espionage Act. But the fact is that this is the first case of its kind in the way that it is being brought. There have been publishers who have been threatened. There have been journalists who were threatened with prosecution under the Espionage Act. But Julian Assange is the first case in which the justice department actually took the step of charging a person for publishing information and you know they well,
0: and sending the cia out there to 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 bug him and to get him yanked out of the uh, embassy and so on i mean it's it's they they really are i mean they are very intent on destroying him i mean they may kill him before that cuz his health is so is so bad and, you know, he's, he's just been, he's been deteriorating like crazy. And, uh, but, but I'm, I, I want to talk to you before we run out of time. I want to talk to you about, um, the amendments that, that they're trying to make to the, um, the extradition uh, agreement. Uh, you wrote an article about that. I'm very, I'm very interested in having you talk about that. And, and if it's going to apply, if it, if anything could, if that happens, would that be applicable in any way? Or
1: Oh, you mean uh, the fact that in Congress we've got proposals to reform yes. the Espionage yeah. Act? Reform,
0: reform the Espionage Act. Yes.
1: Yeah, so I don't think it would affect the extradition, unfortunately, and I'm not sure if it would ever retroactively apply. Um, of course, uh, I have to be realistic and say that, there isn't much political will to do anything about the Espionage Act in our Congress. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of lack of political will to deal with almost every other issue. It seems when it comes to Congress these days, um, they're they're a fairly inactive and useless legislative body. Uh, but on the on the off chance that they would do anything, it would be fantastic because. We're talking about a proposal that was introduced with the support of Daniel Ellsberg by Tulsi Gabbard. Um, and they, uh, the, there's a group in Washington DC called Defending Rights and D- Dissent that consulted on it. Uh, so they, they took civil liberties into consideration and, you know, they convinced her to introduce a bill that has something I refer to and others commonly refer to as a public interest defense. So right now, if Julian Assange is brought to the United States, he would be put on trial, and he'd have no opportunity to argue that what he did was justified because it helped expose torture or war crimes. Or um, he wouldn't be able to say why he did it, um, and it would be deemed irrelevant by the judge. This is what Daniel Ellsberg faced. He's described how you know he was basically told that he couldn't testify about why he released the Pentagon papers. It's why Edward Snowden's in Russia right now in Moscow. He won't return home and face trial. He said, I'm willing to face a trial, but I won't so long as I can't defend myself in a courtroom and tell a jury why I did what I did. And so uh, this is, this is a huge issue that needs to be dealt with. It has to change it. Um, and especially if, We're going to see – because in the last 10 years, 10 to 15 years, the Justice Department has decided that they're going to use this Espionage Act repeatedly in order to go after people who release classified information, mostly people who are lower-level employees. And now we see a dissident journalist who the government doesn't like being punished. Uh, They don't go after high-ranking government officials, uh, but we see this becoming more and more – of a, of a thing that's used. And so there needs to be something done to make it so that defendants can have some kind of fairness in the proceeding. Cause there isn't even a, 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 like a, a modest bit of fairness in the way that people are targeted. All they have to prove is that you did the thing that you republished the material. And then you're essentially convicted. It doesn't matter what you knew about the material. It doesn't matter why you released the material. So that's a big issue. There's a second proposal that was introduced by Ron Wyden and then Ro Khanna in Congress in, in the House of Representatives. Um, and that one actually is much more relevant to Julian Assange than the public interest defense one, although Julian would benefit theoretically or people like Julian would benefit. But that one actually just says straight up very clearly that they uh, – that, that this – Law cannot be used to go after journalists. It puts it into writing that it would ha- you would have to be somebody who had a security clearance who had signed a non-disclosure agreement in order to be accused of violating the Espionage Act. And that would remove a lot of the wiggle, a-, a lot of the room that prosecutors have right now to abuse that law because, you know, you and me, we've never had security clearances. I haven't signed anything. I didn't agree not to publish information, but that doesn't stop them from uh bringing a case against me if they would want,
0: yeah, well, I mean the to me the the worst part about all this is that um first of all, what's coming is gonna be terrifying for for all of us for specifically for people like you and me and uh the other thing is is i I, I just feel like they're they're killing him slowly they're killing him slowly they're driving him crazy they're you know not attending to his health issues and um and on top of that you've got this Baritzer. Victor the other thing i'm curious about is who the hell are these people who is this Victoria Barretzer? i
1: mean Vanessa yeah Vanessa Barattera Vanessa is, is, is a uh, i mean she's a careerist she's somebody who's interested in uh, the next level that she can achieve in her goals as uh, as a professional judge, and I uh, think she's angling for a job on a higher court or uh, looking for a more prestigious position. There's not a lot about her in the in, available to the public. There's only one photo of her. Uh, she's a very private individual, which is which is fine, but I think that you know it it's clear that there's not a lot that we know about what she does. And
0: you know what? I don't think it's so fine that she gets to be such a private individual.
1: Well, she's making he, decisions about us. Yeah.
0: She's making massive decisions. Her decisions are going to reverberate for years to come. So one photo and a few sprinkles of information about this w- woman, I don't feel is enough we need to know more about her. We need to know more about the head prosecutor, Lewis. What James Lewis? What's his name?
1: Yeah, he's um And he's, where
0: is he? Where does he come from? What's his background?
1: Uh, so he's just, you know, uh, I think he's a pretty standard guy who's worked in the the Crown Prosecution Authority. Um I do think uh he actually goes back to the Pinochet case as well um, of, of litigating it, but he would have he would have been representing the government that requested the extradition of Pinochet. So um, you know he's he's, he's he, yeah, yeah, chill. So he's been he's been there for a long time. He's been there um uh he's got 10 or 20 years under in, in his uh background of working. Um I'm less focused on him. I'm more interested in Vanessa because she's the one that really has the power. I mean, if you look at the Crown Prosecution Authority, they're they're going to be yes men or yes women in all of this. They're going to do what the U.S. government yeah. tells them. That's the role they're supposed to serve. But it's the judge that needs to be aware of what the arguments are that are being put to her. And I, I'm not sure that she's as willing to be skeptical about what is being put before her as she should be. There's a lot of claims that were made about the U.S. prison system that are just outright lies that are intentionally deceptive in order to make it seem like Julian Assange won't be abused and treated basically like a terrorist if he's brought to the United States. And they're doing that because they know – that the UK has a human rights charter that says that you can't extradite somebody to a place where they're going to face torture or cruel and inhuman treatment. But they somehow, the prosecution authority, she allows them to get away with misrepresenting the reality in the United States, even though the evidence is plain and right there in front of her. And, you know, you can, you you, you're going to have to face conditions of solitary confinement if you're Julian Assange and brought to the United States. That's how they treat people like him.
0: Well, listen, uh, we've come to the end of our hour, but I'm very, very interested in Vanessa. Super interested. And I think, um, I think I'm going to look into that. And I hope you do too. Cause you know, you're a very good journalist. Keep up the good work. And thank you for the work that you've already done on this story. You've done some amazing stuff. Tell people where they can find
1: your uh, work. Right. So if you go to shadowproof.com, you can find my work. And if specifically, you want to receive stories on whistleblowers um, and updates on WikiLeaks. I have a newsletter I started, dissenter.substack.com, dot rsubstackcom And you can sign up and receive those stories.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. Look forward to having you on the next time. Take care, Kevin.